Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. What do we know about the Long Island serial killer? Are there any suspects? And are investigators close to solving the case? We'll get to all of these questions and more on this edition of Getting Schooled. I'm Abby Hornacek. True crime. It's a genre that has absolutely swept the nation. Millions of people dive into cases from the most notorious serial killers to maybe just local crimes that remain unsolved. One case that has recently caught the attention of crime aficionados is in the New York area where police have yet to identify a suspect after more than a decade in a series of killings. On a new Fox Nation series and podcast called Grim Tide Hunting the Long Island Serial Killer, the Fox News investigative unit goes in-depth and explains what's happened in the case up to this point. Christina Corbin is a Fox News investigative reporter and producer. She's worked on this case for 10 years. She was at Shannon Gilbert's autopsy. And in addition to all of that, she's worked and investigated a lot of other cases of murder around the country. And you know what? And you know what? We've got her here today. Christina, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you, Abby. Thanks so much for having me. This is a, a lot to break down. There are a lot of details in this case, and, and you've been around it for an extremely long time. So can you just start, Christina, by telling me how you got involved in this case and what was your introduction? So in 2010, I was working as a general assignment reporter for FoxNews.com, and my beat was crime and breaking news. And it was December 2010 when we got some reports from local stations that a set of human remains had been discovered out in Long Island. And I'm from New York. I, I grew up in a suburb of New York City and had vacationed out on Long Island my whole life So, with my family. So this is an area that I knew really well. So naturally, I was very interested in, in the case and, and learning more about it. And really, what happened, the... The hunt for the Long Island serial killer began with the disappearance of a woman named Shannon Gilbert. She was from Jersey City, New Jersey. She was advertising as an escort on Craigslist. And she went out to Oak Beach, which is in the town of Babylon, on Long Island, Suffolk County, in May of 2010 to visit with a client. And something happened that night. She ran from the home. She called 911 and she was never seen again. And the police launched a search for her in the following months um, in the area. And it was in December 2010 when an officer with the Suffolk County Police Department named John Malia and his dog found a set of human remains. They found it in thick bramble at Gilgo Beach, which is a very popular beach for surfers. Um, and uh, basically, when they found the remains, everyone thought, well, this must be Shannon Gilbert. And the remains were found wrapped in a burlap bag. And so it immediately looked like it was a homicide. Well, upon further examination, they 
discovered it was not Shannon. It was somebody else. Mm. And uh, they, you know, searched a little bit more and they found another set of remains and another set of remains and another set of remains. So four sets of female remains found at Gilgo Beach. And we didn't know much initially. Um, I think we learned quickly that these were women who had all advertised on Craigslist as escorts. And after they found the four sets of human remains, it became clear to authorities that they were likely hunting a serial killer. So the FBI was called in to assist in the search, and they basically expanded their search um, east and west for more remains. And in March of 2011, they uncovered more sets of human remains at nearby Cedar Beach. They found three more women. They found unidentified Asian male dressed in female clothing. And they found, very sadly, they found a female toddler. And this was huge because, you know, this is an idyllic part of New York State. It's this barrier island, basically, um, you know, Ocean Parkway. The remains were found off of Ocean Parkway. Ocean Parkway traverses this barrier island near Jones Beach, which is a really popular beach where people like to go and concerts and all sorts of things. And so basically every local station in the New York tri-state area descended upon Long Island and it became this huge story, national story, that authorities were, were hunting a serial killer. And I remember there was a lot of um, there was a lot of disagreement among law enforcement at the time. Were they looking for one serial killer or were they looking for multiple serial killers? Were all these victims killed by the same person? Um, a lot of people thought, you know, this must be one killer who's evolved over time. What is the likelihood that two killers choose the same dumping grounds for their victims? And so I was covering this story as a crime reporter for .com. And I was basically, you know, watching the news conferences every day, writing breaking news for the website and also feeding information to the channel. And I've been covering it now for 10 years. Um, And uh, I've met with so many sources in this case over the years. And then six months ago, we had the chance to do this project, this long form documentary for Fox Nation and a podcast. And I've, I've learned some new things myself, um, you know, over the last six months. So it's been a very, very interesting assignment for me. This does not feel like work. Mm. Um, this is really uh, my passion um, is covering unsolved crime stories. And in this case, you know, the victims here, they were mothers, some of them. They were daughters. They were sisters. They were friends. Mm. And to know that this person or people are out there in the world walking around somewhere, it's a huge, that is the driving force for me is to continue to search for answers in this case. Um, yeah. And that's that, what brings me to you today. Well, I, I have so many questions, first of all, <laughs> um, but, but let's hope that, you know, that search will evolve with time in the sense that we have social media. You look at the Brian Laundry case and how many right. clues we got through people who saw things and sent them in because they notice things on social media. So I'm wondering if maybe that'll help further this case along too, since we haven't caught the person or people who are doing this. That is such a great point, Abby, because I think the Gabby Petito case is a perfect example of the power of the media and social media and getting this out there because it just takes one person somewhere to say, hey, 
oh, I remember this guy was acting suspicious, or I remember this, and it might be a very trivial piece of information, but it might be what they need to crack the case. So that's a really good point. A trivial piece of information can be what can you know solve the case. That's really interesting. I didn't think of it that way. Because you think about when you mm-hmm. try to solve a case, you're looking for these big clues, but it might just be something little like that. Um, mm-hmm. that that's, Absolutely. That's fascinating. Okay, so you say that there were, you know, there were women, um, and, and initially they thought maybe these women were escorts. How did that perception or the, that thought change as they started to find they found that unidentified Asian male, that toddler? What, mm-hmm. what, what then did law enforcement's theory become? Mm-hmm. So that's a really good question, too. It gets a little confusing because the first four women they found, um, Amberlyn Costello, Maureen Brainerd Barnes, Melissa Bartholomew, and Megan Waterman, and they all disappeared between the years 2007 and 2010. They were all petite, white. They advertised as escorts on Craigslist, so they all had that commonality. Then when they expanded the search and they found more remains, they found the dismembered remains of two women, Valerie Mack and Jessica Taylor. And they also ad- they also worked as uh, in the sex work industry, but they disappeared much earlier. Valerie Mack disappeared in 2000 and Jessica Taylor, I think, disappeared in 2002. And they also were sex workers. Um, a law enforcement was able to confirm that. Then they found an unidentified Asian male dressed in female clothing. So though they don't know who he is because he was dressed in female clothing, there is the possibility that he was also in the sex work industry. They don't know that for sure. And then they found the dismembered remains of another woman whom they've only ever referred to her as peaches because she had the tattoo of a peach on her body. And the toddler, sadly, um, They don't know really why a toddler was there, but they have been able to DNA link that toddler to peaches. So um, I say that, you know, 10 people believed to have worked in the sex industry because we don't know the identity of the Asian male and we don't know the identity of peaches. Okay, so uh, to expand on that further, I was reading that there were 10 sets of human remains found and then 11 bodies um, Mm -hmm. and other sources. So can you just break that down? Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm I'm glad you raised that. Um, So you have the 10 victims who are found off of Ocean Parkway. They're all found like 15 feet off the parkway in thick bramble. 10 people clearly homicides. Uh, the four women at Gilgo Beach were asphyxiated um, and the other victims were also murdered. Fast forward to December of 2011 and they do a search in a marsh near Oak Beach and they find Shannon Gilbert's remains. So that becomes the 11th set of human remains, uh. except in her case, the medical examiner was unable to determine how she died. And this is really important to talk about because Shannon ran from the home of a man identified as Joseph Brewer, her client. She ran from his home. She called 911 and she said in the 911 call, they're trying to kill me. They. It's be- yeah. It's believed that Shannon was doing drugs that night. People in law enforcement think that she was out of her mind, maybe having a psychotic episode. And so they find her in this marsh not far from where she disappeared. 
but the cause of death, they weren't able to determine how she died. So, you know, some people will say, well, she had to have been murdered. I mean, a healthy 24 year old running into a marsh and just dying doesn't make sense. But then there are a lot of people in law enforcement who think, you know, she ran into this thick marsh, which at that time of year was, you know, high with water and she might have overdosed on drugs or drowned or we don't know. Mm -hmm. And so the point is, no one knows to this day exactly how Shannon died. The element of drugs shakes things up in the theory because it adds another way that she could have died. It does. And Shannon ran from Joseph Brewer's home and she knocked on the door of a man named Gus Coletti. And she said, help me, help me. And Gus, who's now deceased, um, he said, "Okay, I'm going to call 911. Stay right there. I'm getting the police. As soon as he said, I'm getting the police, she bolted from his home and continued running, which is definitely uh, a fact that doesn't really make much sense. People don't understand what well, if you've reached safety, if you've reached this home, this man's now calling the police. Why would you then, you know, run from there? Maybe she didn't want to get caught with drugs. Perhaps she didn't want to get caught with drugs. Perhaps she didn't want to get, you know, be be charged with prostitution or what have you. But Mm. to this day, it's a mystery. You know, why? Why did she run? We don't know. What we do know is that in December of 2011, she was found in a marsh in Oak Beach. So sorry, go continue. So one other thing related to Shannon that's really important is that, you know, the medical examiner, Suffolk County Medical Examiner ruled her death undetermined. The police theorized that she drowned. The family would not accept this ruling, but the family could not afford an independent autopsy. So one day in 2015, I was having a conversation with Dr. Bodden. We're we're friends. We worked together a long time. And I said, Dr. Bodden, you know, would would you be able, would you be willing to examine Shannon's remains? It's it's been five years since she since she died, but the remains are still uh, being stored in the Suffolk County Medical Examiner's office. So Dr. Bodden kindly agreed, and we all met at a morgue on the Nassau-Suffolk County line, and Dr. Bodden did a very thorough examination of Shannon's remains. Um, keep in mind, these are skeletal remains. They had been sitting there for five years, so there was a lot that Bodden didn't have to work with. But it took him several hours to put the skeleton together. We were there. We filmed it. Um, with the permission of the family. And Dr. Bodden focused very carefully on a tiny bone called the hyoid bone. It's in the neck. And he looked very carefully at this bone and he saw that there was roughness on one side of the bone. And oftentimes in strangulation cases, actually that is the hallmark sign of a strangulation is when the hyoid bone snaps. Um, He looked at this and he said, you know, I can't say conclusively how she was killed um, because, you know, animals could have gnawed at the bone. But this is very suspicious. that There's roughness on this side of the bone. Mm. We we often see this with strangulation cases. So Dr. Bodden said, based on the information that I have, which granted is limited, it looks like a homicide. And that changed the that turned the investigation upside down because then the medical the Suffolk County Medical Examiner's Office basically had to revisit their conclusions. Well, and that really changed the conversation. So if he is if he's saying that it was potential strangulation and you, if I'm not mistaken, were saying that some of these other victims died from asphyxiation, then that kind of ties together the way that she died with the way they died. 
right? Correct. Correct. Wait, real quick question, because I'm sitting here in studio and my my mind is being painted a picture through what you're describing. So you were actually there and you saw this. You saw this autopsy. Yes, Abby, I was there in the room. How, what, can you just, what, what was going through your mind? So... I had covered crime for a long time, but I had never been this close to a story before where I'm actually observing a victim, a victim's autopsy. It was surreal. It was surreal because, you know, between 2010 and 2015, I had read so much about Shannon's life. I had talked to her family. I had seen her image everywhere in all the reports. And then there I am sitting with her remains and Dr. Baden. And as a reporter, it was a surreal experience for me. It really, really was. Mm-hmm. And it was very sad. Yeah, I'm sure. And and being someone who doesn't necessarily work in forensics to then see this body um, in such a vulnerable moment, I, I can't even imagine. All right, we got to step aside real quickly, but class will be back in session right after this. Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. So in terms of the details, and I'm asking you these questions from a person who I didn't grow up in New York, and I know some of our listeners may have not heard about this story since, you know, we we get viewers from all over. You mentioned the name Joseph Brewer. Is he one of the people that law enforcement is looking at? And, and, And my other question for you is, who were law enforcement looking at then, and who are they looking at now? Has it changed at all? So... Joseph Brewer was an obvious person for police to question because he contacted Shannon Gilbert that night to arrange a get together and Shannon ran from his home calling police. So naturally, obviously, police would talk with Joseph Brewer and they interviewed him. He has never been named a suspect or person of interest in this case. Really? Correct. And police, I I have to say, police have never publicly named a suspect or person of interest in this investigation. Not one person of interest, even a person of interest. They have never named anybody. Now, that doesn't mean they don't have somebody. I, as I said earlier, I learned a lot over the last six months and I've talked to a lot of law enforcement sources, some of whom are retired, some of whom still work for Suffolk County and I will say that investigators have made real progress in this case. I would not be surprised if they had a suspect or person of interest that they don't want to name for obvious reasons because they don't want to compromise the investigation. So just because no one has been publicly named does not mean they don't have their eye on somebody. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I guess my next question then would be, do we know for certain that Shannon's death is tied to the other deaths that they think is from the serial killer? Because, you know, she it's interesting just from listening to you talk. It seems like she was the one that kind of steamrolled this this investigation Mm -hmm, and how they mm -hmm. sort of thought maybe it could be a serial killer. But what if her death isn't related to the other victims at all? Gosh, I'm so glad you asked me that question. No one has asked me that question. That is such an important question. Um, So there is no hard evidence to date that Shannon Gilbert is related to the other victims whose bodies were found off of Ocean Parkway. That said, 
If Shannon Gilbert had never disappeared, we probably never would have uncovered all those other victims. Mm. So Shannon is such a critical person in this whole case in that respect. But to date, law enforcement has not been able to connect her death to the other victims. Doesn't mean they're not connected. It just means they haven't found the evidence they need to connect it. Interesting. It kind of, again, not to bring up the Gabby Petito case, but I feel like that's what's on top of everyone's not everyone's mind right now. We found so much evidence in that case um, that led us to other, unfortunately, other bodies who uh, disappeared or or people were looking for for years. And so it, it, it kind of yeah. makes me think of that in a way. And yes, absolutely. So why do you think that um, there has been a lack of evidence or why they haven't named Named somebody, a person of interest. You mentioned that, of course, they don't want to compromise the investigation. But back then, I mean, it's been years since this happened. Mm-hmm. And I, I could only imagine you have a better thought about this, probably. But the, the further that you get in time wise away from a case, mm-hmm. that makes me think that it's harder to solve. Yeah, that's also another great question. So the reason they're so tight lipped here is because the person or people that they're looking for is someone who is very knowledgeable of law enforcement tactics. Mm. Why do I say that? For several reasons. The person who committed these crimes, or at least the person who killed the women found at Gilgo Beach, he used one of the victim's cell phones to call her family in upstate New York and taunt them over the course of five weeks after Melissa Bartholomew disappeared. And he made those phone calls from Times Square and Penn Station, and he kept them really short, like under two minutes. So he makes these calls near cell towers that are probably two of the most busiest cell towers in the world, right? Mm -hmm. So you can't trace the call. He contacted all of the victims on a burner phone. And so while police won't say whether they believe it's someone who's in law enforcement or or was in law enforcement, they they have said on the record, this is someone who is very sophisticated and this is someone who has intimate knowledge of law enforcement tactics. Wow. I oh, sorry, go ahead. No, so that that really I'm glad you asked me that question, because that may very well that that may very well be the reason why they're not more forthcoming with information about a person of interest or a suspect. Right. Because he is sophisticated. Do they think it's a he and have they narrowed down their their thought that it could be multiple people? Yeah. So I think that. Pretty much everyone refers to the killer as a he in conversations with me um, because these women were hired uh, for sex. Um, You know, they were advertising as uh, escorts on Craigslist. So I think, you know, it's pretty safe to assume that it is a man. But of course, you can never rule out a woman. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are strong arguments to be made for single killer versus multiple killers. There are so many victims here. Um, It's hard to imagine one person is capable of all of that. Also, the manner in which the victims were killed, um, it varies. Um, You know, the women found at Gilgo Beach were asphyxiated. For instance, the Asian male, he was uh, killed blunt force trauma to the head. Mm -hmm. So 
There are some people in law enforcement who believe very strongly it's one person who has evolved over time. And then there are other people who say, you know what, it could be more than one person. And coincidentally, they have the same dumping ground, which is a pretty isolated, I don't want to say deserted, but it's a pretty isolated area, Ocean Parkway. There, there isn't much around, but just beach and stretch of highway with very, very thick bramble um, that, you know, you can't even walk through it. So to answer that question, I think there's strong arguments to be made for both. And police aren't ruling out, at least officially, they're not ruling out either one. I interviewed police commissioner Stuart Cameron over the summer, and he said, you know, it could be one, it could be multiple. And in in, in any investigation, you, you can't have tunnel vision. You have to keep an open mm. mind. Yeah, that sounds like it's it's important. Totally. Um, OK, so you, you mentioned the dumping ground, same place. Um, what what do you think the turning point in the case was that connected all the murders? Well, I think the fact that so I think the fact that six of the victims are known to have been sex workers mm. links them. Four of the victims all advertised on Craigslist and and the proximity in which where they were found right. all in the same area. And, and, you know, after <sighs> crime has been my beat for a very long time. And I've learned that sex workers are often the target of bad people who want to harm women. They find themselves in intimate settings with strangers they are often estranged from their families or from their friends. So nobody is actively out searching for them. Sometimes they're transient. They, you know, they move from one place to another. And so women who work in that line are often targeted by serial killers. That is a known fact. Mm. So, you know, and, and in this in this case, I mean, I think the earliest person, 1996, that was Peaches. And then the most recent case was Amberlyn Costello, who was killed in September of 2010. Um, so that's that's quite a number of years there. Um, and it's my understanding that the killer went to great lengths to really leave hardly ev any evidence behind. That said, I interviewed Suffolk County District Attorney Tim Sini over the summer, and I learned that Suffolk County has, invest, has invested a lot of money in advanced technology, two things, phone technology and DNA technology. With the phone analytics technology, they're able now to go back 10 years and analyze cell data that was, you know, long considered to be irretrievable or lost they can go back in time and do a lot of analysis with phones. Mm. Now, it's a little bit over my head to explain how it works, but I guess that's the point. I don't know. Um, but they are making a lot of headway in phone analytics. That's in addition to that. So, yeah. sorry, real quick question on that. So, are you saying that even this this um, serial killer, um, if it is the same person, and he was contacting these families from the cell phone, even though it wasn't really traceable, are they able to tap into those phone calls or are we talking about something completely different? Great question. So he used a burner phone, but he likely also had his real phone on him. 
So when he traveled to meet these women, when he traveled to Ocean Parkway to uh, discard of these women, he had a burner phone, but he also was likely carrying a real traceable phone. And where did that phone ping from? And so authorities, it's my understanding, have made real progress, like actual progress in the phone analytics of this case. They won't really say anything more than that, but the DA did tell us that he has identified certain phone numbers going back years that I guess you would describe as phone numbers of interest oh, in this investigation. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so you look at the case now. Why do you think it's gotten more media attention lately? Well, um, well, probably because it's... of your reporting. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Well, I should add that in addition to the phone analytics technology, they've also purchased advanced DNA technology called an MVAC system, which is used by the FBI. And basically this system is able to do uh, is able to test porous surfaces. um, So like a rope, a piece of clothing, um, even like a brick. And they're able, the system is able to extract DNA from these items that previously we weren't really able to do very well. So they're actually retesting a lot of evidence in this case on the DNA front. So it's getting more attention because of, of that announcement. But I think Everybody likes a good cold case. This has not been solved for 10 years. And we're talking about, you know, a serial killer. We are talking about someone who has multiple victims and he may have victims that we don't actually even know about. And I think those cases naturally just really, um, you know, really attract a lot of public attention. But to elaborate a little bit more on that, back in 2020, police decided to release a key piece of evidence that they had been holding on to for 10 years. And they decided to release it, I guess, to sort of reinvigorate the case. Mm. And in 2020, they released an image of a belt, a belt that was found with one of the victims. And on this belt, there are initials, um, WH or HW, depending upon the order in which you read them. And that's a pretty unique piece of evidence to have a belt with someone's initials found on it um, with one of the victims. So in 2020, they released this piece of evidence, hoping that that would generate new leads, new tips. And I think in releasing that information, it just sort of revived the case and people be interested again. How do they know that the HW or WH are initials? Yeah, so it's, um, well, I guess maybe they don't. Um, It's uh, H period. It's W period H, or if you flip it over, it would be HM, depending Uh, upon how you're reading the W. And they're like embossed in the belt. So I guess they just assume their initials. Yeah, that makes Um, sense. But what's really weird is that they won't release a picture of the entire belt. It's just a zoomed in image of the initials on this belt. Why wouldn't they release the whole belt? It's a good question. I really don't know. We've asked them and haven't really gotten a clear answer on that. Hmm. It's it's odd. They have said that the the decision to release it was strategic, they said. I think you hit it on the head. I mean, that does. Something like that would definitely revive the case, especially in a time where we have all these true crime podcasts. We have social media like we talked about before and a lot of different avenues where you can kind of discover more information. 
Yes, absolutely. So you said that um, it's it's been 10 years, um, but are there more victims that date back even further than that? Or are we talking strict 10 years? Yeah. So, you know, it's been 10 years since they found all of these remains along Ocean Parkway. But some of these people were killed in the early 2000s. Peaches was found body parts belonging to peaches were found as early as 1996 Mm -hmm. that they were able to connect to the other body parts that were found in 2010. Um, Valerie Mack disappeared in 2000. Jessica Taylor disappeared in 2002. So we're really looking at a timeframe of between 1996 and 2010 when Amberlynn Costello disappeared. Wow. I mean, that is a long time. (laughs) And hopefully, hopefully these these families can get some answers, too. And you're helping in that. And that's that's a really noble cause, too, because I'm sure that they've just been in agony for for the ones who aren't estranged from their families. Um, Okay, so to, to kind of finish this podcast off, can you just recap where are we right now? What are we looking at? Who are we looking at? And maybe they haven't announced one um, publicly, but what are your thoughts being from being around this for so long, Christina? Okay, so um, we are looking at the hunt for a serial killer or killers on Long Island who has claimed the lives of at least 10 victims. Um, This is a case that has stumped even the most experienced detectives. And I think one really important point to make here is that The longer cases go unsolved, leads shrivel, people tend to think, you know, it's never going to be solved. But there's a flip side to that because the the more time that goes by, relationships change, you know, the girlfriend becomes the ex-girlfriend, people move away. And when a lot of time goes by, people sometimes feel emboldened to come forward with information that they had been holding on to for a long time, because maybe 10 years ago, they were too afraid to come forward. So, you know, time can really go both ways here. And it's my hope, it's everybody's hope that somebody somewhere will feel emboldened to come forward with that one piece of information that they may need to just crack this case wide open. Wow. Yeah, I've, I've heard it said many times, someone always tells, and that could be the case in, in this case. Um, so, Christina, thank you so much for coming on, and we'll be sure to have you on again the more developments we see. And I have I wouldn't put it past you that you're the one to solve this case. So <laughs> we'll see if that happens as well. You're not the only one to say that. Thank you, Abby. Thank you so much for having me on. And thank you for giving me the platform to tell everybody, to educate everybody about this case, because it is a really fascinating case and it's unsolved. Absolutely. We'll keep an eye on it. Thanks, Christina. All right. If you missed anything from class, these are my office hours. And here are some top takeaways from my conversation with Christina Corbin. Number one, there has never been a suspect or even a person of interest publicly named in this case. Even though Joseph Brewer contacted Shannon for an arrangement and she ran from him, he hasn't even been named. Now, Christina says this could possibly be because some believe the killer is sophisticated. He's used law enforcement tactics. He has intimate knowledge. So maybe this was done for the purpose of protecting the investigation. Number two. 
This case has evolved a lot over the last 10 years. Christina says a trivial piece of information can be what it takes to solve this case. So now that we're in a world with social media and more transparency, we have the opportunity for new leads. There's been no hard evidence to date that Shannon Gilbert's body is connected to the others. That doesn't mean it's not linked, but maybe there's an opportunity for someone to come forward. Which brings me to number three. Christina says time can go both ways. The further away from a crime you get, leads can shrivel, people can forget. But on the other hand, maybe more people feel comfortable coming forward now that it's 10 years later. For example, the common thread to these cases is the fact that many of the victims have been linked to the sex work industry. The perception of that industry has come more into light in the more recent years. So maybe someone feels more compelled to come forward with more information. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast on the Long Island Killer. For more podcasts, you can go to foxnewspodcast.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this one on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen and leave us a review. This has been Getting Schooled with Abby Hornacek on the Fox News Podcast Network. Class dismissed. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.